everyone that's here a great round of applause, a great help tonight. That's really great. Fantastic. Hey, can I uh, also just remind you or advise you, whatever, that uh, this Wednesday night, um, we're starting our Centro interns, and uh, it's not too late to get in if you're between the ages of 18 and 25. So you've left high school, um, but uh, you know, you're not too old that you can't sort of be out every night partying to the wee house. And... Uh, uh, the whole idea behind it, to give you some concept of the vision behind it, uh, is we're going to be looking at uh, uh, numerous, uh, what you might call Bible study uh, aspects, uh, uh, Bible college notes. We're going to start with Christology on um, on uh, Wednesday night, which is in keeping with what we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's the whole life of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be looking at it from a bit more of a scholarly uh, basis on Wednesday night. Uh, that's the second half of the night. The first half of the night, we're going to be talking about life. We're going to talk about how you establish yourself in life, how you get um, your house paid off, uh, <laughs> how you raise a family, how you uh, become successful at life. And uh, we're going to be doing this all year uh, with... Uh, with my wife and myself and uh, any 18 to 25 year old who's interested. So if you are interested but you have not yet registered, uh, there's a couple of other things that are going to be involved in, including the conference of our movement, um, merging leaders and a few other things that are going to be part of the whole package. Uh, if you'd like some more information, I guess you could talk to um, uh, either Pastor Tim or Francine tonight and uh, uh, find out a bit more about that if, if you want. And uh, it starts this Wednesday night, so really got to kind of get in now because we start all the all the uh, the notes and the books and some seminal books really that have that have shaped who I am as a person. We're going to be studying those books, uh, not necessarily all Christian books, but uh, really uh, important books. So um, I put that out there. If you're interested, then uh, talk to us. We're really a good number of people in, but if you want in, there's a room for a couple of extras. That'd be great. Tonight we're starting off on our uh, uh, a series that's going to take us all the way to uh, Easter, which isn't that far away. In fact, we've only got five Sunday nights after tonight to to do this. And we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus from when he comes onto the stage of humanity as an adult, uh, and then through to his um, crucifixion. Uh, and we're going to recognize or we're going to identify that when he came, he didn't come to fix something, he didn't come to add to something, but he came to offer something brand new to the world and for uh, the world. And, and like many acts, uh, he had a warm-up act. And of course, the warm-up warm act for Jesus, you know, live from the Jordan River Basin, clothed in animal hair and smelling like locust breath, uh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't called John the Baptist because he belonged to the Baptist Church, uh, or he wasn't a Catholic, right, or he wasn't a Pentecostal. Uh, he was called John the Baptist for a very important reason, and that was he was the first human being in history that have ever manhandled somebody into the water and brought them out uh, and called it baptism. No one had ever done this before. Uh, baptism existed in Jewish culture, but you baptized yourself. Uh, if you weren't aware where baptism comes from, historically, uh, it was one of basically five things you had to do if you were a non-Jew and wanted to become a Jew. You had to go through this ceremonial cleaning that had in, as part of it this thing called baptism. And you'd, you know, you'd put yourself in the tank, but you'd do it to yourself. Nobody was there to kind of say, you know, we now baptize you. This had never happened before. And onto the scene comes John the Baptist. And it says in Luke 3, verse 3, he went to all the countryside around the Jordan 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, just leave that up there because we're going to deal with this because this was a really strange thing for a human being to do, right? No one had ever done this before. To start with, uh, who is John the Baptist that he thinks he can offer forgiveness of sin? Because in this culture, they had a very sophisticated, um, very established sin-forgiving system. It was called the temple. And what you would do is that you'd make your way to the temple. You'd speak to the high priest or the not-so-high priest, you know, or the rather low priest or whoever you got, right? And you'd say, hey, this is my sin. And they would say, well, this is your offering. Bring a sacrifice and that will cover for your sin. And this has been going on for a hundred, in fact, over a thousand years. It was started by the icon of Jewish history, Moses, who led their nation out of captivity in Egypt and to the point of the promised land. And through that process was prescribed by God this sin-forgiving system. And now, center stage, this guy. I mean, it does leave some, some really, really important questions. Uh, the first question really is, who told him he could do this? Like, who gave him this authority? Where, 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 does, where do your credentials come from, John the Baptist? You're going around, right, baptizing people. Now, the, the, to start with, forgiveness of sin was as a result of a sacrifice that you made. It was normally an animal, or it might have been, you know, some, um, uh, some farm products or something. But there was a, a sacrifice that you made that kind of got you okay with God. That was the way it worked. And John the Baptist is messing with the system. He has no formal training. He has uh, uh, no uh, uh, formal permission, no backing. He is messing with the national policy of the nation of Israel. It says in verse 5, He went into all Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. We're not just talking here about a dozen people turning up, right? And, and that happened uh, um, uh, sporadically throughout the course of Jewish history. A guy would turn up and he'd say, hey, you know, I'm the Messiah, follow me. And you'd get, there's always a few, isn't there? Every church has them. There's a few disgruntles, you know. And uh, every church has their disgruntles. And uh, you're right there, Ned. And uh, <laughs> I wonder what was going on there. And <laughs> six. <laughs> That's the number of men right there. Uh, go for one more, darling, with sevens. That's what you need, the perfect number there. Um, come out in Jesus' name. One more we want. Uh, it was, you know, every now and again, you get this guy who would rise up and he'd say, hey, follow me, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And, and he would inevitably get the, you know, the few disgruntled people that, that is inevitably there and they were upset with the priest or upset with whoever and they'd go and follow this guy. But that would go for a while. It would peter out as inevitably it does. And it happens in church life still today. You know, Someone gets upset with the pastor and goes off and starts their own church and it goes for a little while and it peters out. And, and this had been going on in Jewish history for years. And so they thought, ah, another one of those types, you know, another one of these kind of people who who will rise up and say hey you know i'll make a big noise i got some new ideas i got some new answers he'll get the disgruntled people and they'll follow after him but this time it was different this time there is like thousands of people flocking into the desert right like i'm not just talking about driving to the end of the street 
I'm just talking about maybe some of you traveled, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get here. Maybe that was uh, half an hour for maybe somebody. Uh, These people would have to travel probably on foot and most probably overnight. So they'd have to camp along the way. But thus was their desire to see this guy, John the Baptist and, and, and the, this presented a real problem for the Jewish establishment because they had this, they had this arrangement, if you will, with the Roman uh, occupying force and it was this. We'll keep all these so-called you know, um, uh, wannabe messiahs at bay. We'll keep the whole religious thing under control, right? Because if you don't, the Romans would have said to the Jews, if you don't, we'll do it and you won't like the blood instrument that we use. So we'll let you practice your ancient religion because the Roman authorities let that happen. If there was an ancient religion when they took over a, 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 a nation, they would let them continue to practice it if it had been there for a thousand years or more, as is the case with Judaism. But they said, any, any fracture, any, any uh, trouble amongst the Jews, if you people in the temple can't handle it, then we will handle it and you won't like what you see. And so the temple leaders understood their responsibility to keep you know, the troops in order, to keep the, uh, the nationals uh, behaving themselves, if you will. But John the Baptist is not behaving himself and nobody has instructed him, uh, empowered him, or indeed commissioned him uh, to do it. And he makes some really profound statements. I'm gonna to read to you from John 15. It says, John testified concerning him, Jesus. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said. Now, this doesn't make any sense, right? You try to stay with me here. He who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. (laughs) Did you get that? The guy who comes after me, chronologically speaking, has been around since before me. Now, if you get it, right? If you understand God, you go, I get it, he's God. If you're not sure if Jesus was God, if you think Jesus was a good teacher, if Jesus was, uh, you know, uh, a prophet or something, uh, just an upstanding citizen, um, then this verse, this is really going to make you think. Because John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, said, although I'm the forerunner, although he comes after me, he's actually been around before me because, of course, God has been there from the very beginning he's signaling up front that Jesus is God and he says this in verse 17 and this is cornerstone right this is foundational this is what we're going to build our church on Uh, he says this in verse 17 for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ the law was given through Moses but grace and truth everyone say grace and truth grace and truth say it again grace and truth grace and truth these two ideas that seem to be opposed to one another okay grace says come on you're okay have another go there 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 come on truth says you don't make the grade i'm sorry there's the standard and you fall short of it truth says this is the way grace says oh come on you can choose jesus was not the balance of grace and truth jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth now 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 this is really really important because in the world that you and i are currently living in uh culture is shifting and it's going to shift even more. In fact, what we've seen in these last couple of months, okay, when laws have changed and culture has changed, is only the beginning of 
uh, of the slope that, that, that we currently find ourselves on. And the reason I say that is because next Sunday, we have our Vision Sunday at Civic Center at 10 a.m. I implore you to be there because I'm going to be talking about a guy by the name of Daniel from the Old Testament who lived in a very ungodly culture, but he embodied grace and truth. And he showed us how to live, how to maintain a testimony, how to keep faith in the midst of a population that despises faith. If you've ever wondered, how can you be a good, godly person when you're working in this unrighteous, this horrible, uh, ungodly system You need to come in our morning services for the next few weeks as we study the life of Daniel and we figure out how he brought grace and truth to Babylon. Uh, Of course, we have it embodied in the life of Jesus. Jesus brought grace and truth to the earth. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, this is not an end. It wasn't the law and grace and truth. This was an instead of. Instead of the law, we now have grace and truth. And truth. And the religious leaders of the day found everyone was shopping at the River Jordan. Uh, you know, the temple's not as popular as it used to be, but everybody's heading down to the River Jordan. Everybody wants to hear what John the Baptist has got to say. So this is what they did. The high priest had a little meeting and they said, Look, the River Jordan, where he is, it's over a day. We're not going to go down there ourselves. God knows what might happen, you know. I mean, we'll have to stay overnight somewhere along the line. What if somebody sees us? Uh, if we go there, that's only going to increase the status of John the Baptist, right? At the, at the moment, he's just this kind of weird voice in the wilderness. If we get into it, if we go there, then people are going to say, Oh, wow. Like, you know, the prime minister has turned up. This is a real serious deal. So uh, they got an envoy. They, they, they got some of the, uh, the, the lower ministers, if you will. Some of the, the lower priests are not the high priests. And they said to them, we want you to go to the River Jordan. We want you to speak to this John the Baptist and we want you to find out who he is. So they released these spies, if you will. They weren't so much undercover, but they had a very specific assignment. Go and find out what is going on and this raucous that John the Baptist is causing in our society in our community and so they make their way they snake their way down by the the river bank and john's there and he's baptizing people and he's he's saying repent and and you'll uh your sins will be forgiven and he baptizes them and he sees these religious people coming he probably sees their tassels they kind of stand out from the crowd and he knows what they want he knows what everybody wants who told you you can do this who said it was okay i mean where does this come from you've just decided miles away from the temple right without any god-given authority that you're going to start saying to people hey repent and i'll baptize you for the forgiveness of your sin when we have a very sophisticated god-given sacrificial system whereby people come and offer a sacrifice and have their sins forgiven so they go and he sees he knows what they're going to ask and he says in verse 20 He did not fail to confess, but freely said, I am not the Messiah. He knows they want to know, are you this Messiah that people are talking about that is coming? He says, no. And then it goes on and uh, and says, um, uh, well, are you Isaiah? And John replied, the words of Isaiah, I am am a voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, the Pharisees who had been questioning him said, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah? You're not Elisha, and you're not the prophet. Um, 
the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he, the, the prophet said, before Jesus comes, a prophet like Elijah will come. And so I thought, well, that must be this guy. He must be the prophet like Elijah. Jesus said he was. He didn't recognize who he was. So he says, no, I'm not that. I'm not that person. Uh, and there are other books in the Bible that talk about a prophet. He says, I'm not that person. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that person. I'm not that person. So they thinking among themselves, well, it, it's one thing to tell us who you're not, but, but who are you then? If you're not these people, then who are you and why are you doing this? And his response is just, hey, I'm a voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he, he actually uh, quotes the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, uh, making straight the way of the Lord. He, he basically is saying to them, but there's one coming after me. If you think I'm a big deal, you've seen nothing yet. If you think I'm you know, causing uh, a problem, you've seen nothing yet. If you think I can attract the crowd, you've seen nothing yet. He says in verse 27, the one that comes after me, the straps of whose sandals, I am not worthy to untie. So they go back to their big shot minders and they say to him, they say, well, he's not, you know, um, John the Baptist. Uh, you know, he's not Elijah. This John the Baptist, he's not the Messiah. Uh, he's not a prophet. He's a voice. He's just out there singing in the wilderness. You know, make way. Jesus is coming. Make way. Jesus is coming. And so they get really concerned. And they do something unprecedented, something that's never happened before. They decide to leave the comforts and the securities of the temple, to take a journey out into the wilderness, and the bosses are going to confront this John the Baptist themselves. Now, this is about to elevate the status of John the Baptist to the stratosphere. And so they journey out there themselves. And of course, these guys, I mean, these guys are the big deal. Uh, they are huge. Um, they, they look good, you know, their hair is all slicked back, they smell good. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7, um, and, and they start making their way out, and John sees them, and he says this, 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 will, this will blow you away. It says, when, uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, now these two guys, these two groups of people didn't even get on, right? But that's the, uh, that's the threat that John the Baptist is, is posing to national security. That, that these two guys have said, okay, we don't like each other, we don't get on, but you know something, we now have a common enemy, that enemy is John the Baptist, and so we're gonna go out and we're gonna confront him together. When he saw them coming to where he was baptizing, now, even that's an important bit of knowledge. He didn't go to them, they went to him. They went to nobody. You have to understand that. Uh, they were the bees, knees, they were, they were it the bit. They didn't have to go anywhere. They didn't have to go to anybody. People came to them. That's like the prime minister of our country coming to find out what's going on in Ipswich. Or the prime minister getting on his plane and flying and, and, and then making the journey to see what's going on. If, you want to, if I want to have a conversation with the prime minister or anybody, you have to go to him. But this is something unprecedented in their history the, the, the religious leaders have made their way out into the wilderness for themselves to confront this menace known as John the Baptist. And he says this, oh, 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 oh boy, he wants a fight. Exactly. <laughs> he says, you brood of vipers. 
Who warns you to flee from the coming from the coming wrath? Produce fruits, uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. <laughs> what you got to understand, folks, is that these guys are good for a living. They are professional goodness, right? I, I mean, this is the, the, these guys. They are the ones close to God. They live in the temple. They serve before God. And everybody knows that, you know, if God's going to do something, these were the people who know. Everybody knows that if there's going to be a, a, a change from God, that he'll come through the established authorities. And this guy, John the Baptist, shows them little respect. Nobody talks to them like this. Not even the Roman authorities talk to them like this. And here you have this wild-eyed, crazy guy out in the desert who's attracted the attention of the, 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 the highest authorities within the Jewish culture and he looks them straight in the eye and he basically says, you're a mob of criminals, you better straighten up. And you could just imagine, if you were riding your push bike past that crowd, everyone would have gone, oh, you'd have got sucked into a vortex, I'm telling you. I mean, everybody who was listening right then would have just sucked in a breath like you would not believe. Kind of like he said, what? What did he just call them? These are the guys who are good for a living. He's basically saying to them, the days of your compassionless, loopholed, rule-based religion is over, buddy. (laughs) Your reign is coming to an end. We are moving to a transitional point in human history. And and you see, they saw themselves, as most of us do, as righteous. They saw themselves as we've got it together. We know we've got it together because all the people tell us we've got it together because we've got the law of Moses and that that just reinforces the fact that we've got it together. But this guy saw straight through them And he pointed to the fact that they're all about pretense. They're all about appearance. They're all about uh, putting out the right virtue signaling. But in their hearts, they're self-centered. In their hearts, it's all about what's good for them. It's, It's all about their agenda. It's all about their power. And it says, all this happened at Bethany in verse 28 of John 1. On the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing, And then it happened. Well, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And I I, I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know if you're a Christian or not a Christian, but I've got to tell you this. This is a moment. This is a moment in human history where John sees Jesus and John knows who he is. And Jesus sees John. They lock eyes across the Jordan and Jesus knows that John knows who he is John's really the only one who is who has the the, the full understanding that 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 this guy is so big that he's not even you know worthy to, to, to tie his shoelaces and and they lock eyes for just a moment and and, and and the next few minutes folks human history is about to is about to turn on a on a coin it's about to take a complete 180 uh what you and I kind of reading, we go, oh, yeah, no, no, no. This, this is monumental. This is, a, this is like a tectonic shift. And I love what John 
the Baptist says, as Jesus steps onto the world stage, as God in a body goes public for the first time. And he says this, and you've got to get this. Is it up on the screen behind me? I think it is. See that word there? He says, look. He says, look. Note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what religion often says. Religion says belief. He doesn't say belief. He says, look. You know, you don't have to believe to look. You, you, you don't, it doesn't say hope. You don't have to, well, you know, my hope's in Jesus. No, it doesn't matter if your hope's not in Jesus, just look. But I'm not sure if he is. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm not. It doesn't matter. Look. He, he's not asking you to check your brains at the door. He, he, he's, he's not saying, hey, you know, it's all about faith. You know, just have faith. Just have faith. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, look, engage your senses and view. Have a look at Jesus. This is, uh, this is so powerful, folks, because, you know, I know people that have fallen out of church because someone told them, some stupid uh, uh, person told them, oh, well, you didn't have enough faith, you know. Uh, this, this happened in your life and that person passed away and or, you know, they got sick and all because you didn't have enough faith. Did you know people follow Jesus who didn't believe what he believed and he didn't say, go away. He said, just follow me. Just keep your eyes on me. That's all. And we can argue, as I've said, we can argue about, well, but, you know, what about this and, and what about that? And was it seven literal days or, or was it 7,000-year periods? Or, you know, what, what, uh, what about evolution and, and how, can, how can this work? And how can you be Christian and, and believe? And, and, and listen, all you've got to do is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Study him. And that's what we're going to do, folks, uh, quite, uh, quite meticulously over the next five weeks. We're going to look at Jesus. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. And right at that point of time, I wonder if their minds went to Abraham. Because Abraham, their father, right? Abraham was the, uh, was the origin of the, the, the Jewish nation. And Abraham uh, was about to sacrifice his son when God provided the lamb. In the middle of the wilderness. Thank you. <laughs> This is big. <laughs> this is changing the world, folks. <laughs> because he says, the Lamb of God. Now, you've got to appreciate, they are hundreds, they are, they are miles, maybe not hundreds of miles, but they are miles from the temple. Right over a day's walking journey from the temple. And, uh, and the Lamb uh, that is sacrificed, a sacrifice in a temple, and it goes in the Holy of Holies, you know, the blood is spilt, and then, you know, the whole sacrifice for the nation of Israel happens, and it happens on an annual basis with the high priest. And, and here we are, over a day's journey from there, and, and the Lamb of God is here. The, the Lamb of God, and, and then he says, who takes away the sin, not just of the Jewish people, but the sin of the world. I mean, what are you talking about here, John? But what about the Romans? I mean, the Romans who have sinned against us. The, the Romans who have occupied our country, the Romans who have taken our women and children, the Romans who have done these terrible things to us, don't tell us that God is going to forgive them of their sin because that would be wrong. I mean, this, 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 this phrase, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin 
of the world would have been something that, that they just would not have been able to comprehend because they knew as far as the world was concerned, they weren't, be, they weren't allowed to fraternize with it. They weren't allowed to visit it. They weren't allowed to get involved with it, right? My son doesn't marry their daughters. Their son doesn't marry our daughters kind of thing. And yet he's saying to them that this is the lamb provided by God who's going to take away the sins, not just of the Jewish people, not just of the righteous people, not just of the good people, not just of those who are on the inn, but he's come to take away the sins of the world. I mean, are you telling me that even the Gentiles, because the Gentiles aren't even really allowed into the temple. There's one concessional area that if they jump through enough hoops, they might be able to let into, but they're not allowed into the holy place. You know, I mean, we are the special the special people of God. And, and do you hear me? You'll never forget this message, I hope. But Jesus became a bridge, a bridge between two covenants, a bridge between two world views, a bridge between two systems. The nation of Israel was a cocoon, meticulously um, uh, designed and invented by God for a, very, for a very specific reason that one day the cocoon would give forth new life and eventually this new life came forth from the nation of Israel the new life was Jesus Christ and then what happens to the cocoon we, we, we're thankful for it we acknowledge the lessons from it but ultimately you have to leave it behind you see the first covenant was given to Moses on Mount Sinai between Moses, between God and a nation. But this is between now a new covenant between God and the world. This new system, this whole new world order. And it changed everything. It changed everything. And it established something in the world today that has really been the foundations of what you and I enjoy. We go to bed every night under the blanket of this moment and we don't even realize it. We wake up tomorrow morning and you go to work because of this moment. And the truth is, we seldom understand it. How this moment, how this new world order that Jesus is bringing has transformed the world in which we live in. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again how um, even uh, the communist regime of China after doing uh, a whole bunch of research concluded that the secret source that makes the West the most profitable, uh, most powerful force in the world today is their religion. It's Christianity. And uh, as I said this morning and I'll, I'll reiterate tonight in a few weeks time we're going to have somebody with us who is a professor of the New Testament. Uh, not a doctor, he has a, doctor from, he has a doctorate from Cambridge University. He's one of the foremost theologians in the world. And he's going to be standing here in just a few weeks' time and giving us some insight into the life of Jesus uh, so that we can understand what it is that we are a part of and what it is that we have. But he also happens to fly to China regularly and lectures in the universities of China um, uh, the foundations of Christianity because China wants to know what it is that has given you the advantage that you have over those born in communist China. And he's part of this. And he's going to be here in three weeks' time, whatever it is, four weeks' time, um, talking to us about this very thing. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me up on the platform, if you would, because every night what we're going to do is we're going to um, participate 
uh, in communion. And uh, we have uh, about to be put on these tables, I should imagine, uh, what is kind of on the platform behind me. And uh, if the, uh, uh, the musicians would just like to come in and they can partake behind me while I conclude the message and then we're going to start singing and then everybody is going to have a moment to come forward and partake of these emblems of the new covenant right this new arrangement Jesus came and he brought three new things I'm going to finish with this the first one of course is what I've just alluded to a new covenant sometimes in the church what we've done is we've shaved the edges of the Old Testament, we've shaved the edges of the New Testament and said, oh, that's how they work together. No, they don't. They don't work together. The old covenant is gone, the new has come. We have to leave the old and we have to embrace the new. And I'm not sure, to be really honest with you, that, that everybody has successfully been able to do that. And that's really what, what we're going to be about these next few weeks, introducing you time and time again to the new covenant, to the new promise, to the new way. And we're going to have, do communion in a new way just to kind of you know, change it up a little bit, just to kind of communicate that. Uh, and we, we might even do it on different ways and different nights. Who knows? We might do this again and whatever. We might do it in a more traditional way. But, 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 but it, it's a new covenant that Jesus came to bring. He brought a new command. Moses gave 10 commandments. And if you were to add up all the ancillary uh, directions, they add up to over 600. Um, And so there was this complex system of life that you had to fulfill to be right with God. Um, And then Jesus came and He says, I'm bringing you a new commandment. And this new commandment would be the single, if you will, ethic that would hold us all together the, 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 this unifying ethic it will be one not 600, not 10, but one and we'll probably spend the whole night on it at some point between now and, and Easter because I hope when we hit Easter, Easter hits you like it's never hit you before but Jesus brought a new command something that would be less complex but more demanding something that would be the catch cry of the third thing he bought which was a new movement, a brand new movement that you and I are a part of. We are part of this movement that started only 2,000 years ago that Jesus is introducing right here on the banks of the Jordan River. We are right now at a moment of human history, a significant, poignant moment. As as John the Baptist says to him, um, I, I can't baptize you, Jesus, but Jesus makes his way out into the water. And he says to John the Baptist, baptize me. And John the Baptist resists him, says, no, no, you baptize me, I'm not worthy. And Jesus probably would have just smiled (laughs) and said, the people must see that I'm willing to identify with the new. The new thing that's coming. What God promised Abraham all those years ago, over a thousand years ago, is finally come to fruition a man became a lamb a man became a lamb a God became a man became a lamb (laughs) the God became a man that became a lamb to take away the sin the sin of the world but my sin 
the blackness of my heart. I know there's something wrong with me. <laughs> I, 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 I sense it. I sense the angst from time to time. I sense the powerlessness to do the things that I know I ought to do. I, I know that there's something wrong with me. Sometimes I, I get envy and jealousy. And, and I know there's something, but he came to deal with the sin in me. And God in this moment just appears onto the stage to deal with the sin in you. Come on, John, push me under the water. <laughs> There are some incredible days ahead. But before the sin of humanity is dealt with, John, there are stories to tell. There are diseases to heal. There are tables to turn. There are places to go. But he brought an undeniable authority to establish what we are about to celebrate tonight this new world order. Let's stand together. These guys are going to just sing this song in just a moment. I'm just going to ask you to make your way out. Now, I'm going to ask you to take this piece of bread. You just have to dip it into a, the cup of the grape juice like this. Take a moment. Thank God. Then partake. Now, four cups, a bunch of biscuits, and a whole bunch of people. <laughs> so I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't know how ordered it's going to be. But here's the thing, I don't care. It doesn't have to be ordered, because Jesus wasn't ordered. One of the reasons I'm doing this is to switch it up a bit because we have communion in such an orderly fashion you know communion comes and you take the biscuit it's all very you know succinct all very orderly and you know it's all almost religious and so I'm not even going to tell you when to come you just come and if you bump into people you know what shake their hands smile at them say good day it's all cool this is this is natural right this is, this is something that, that is the foundation of what you and I, if you're a Christian here tonight, are a part of. So these guys are just going to start singing. When they start singing, I'm just going to say, hey, come on. Obviously, if you're on that side of the room, go that way. That side of the room, go that way. But hey, you want to be a nuisance and go that way? I don't care. <laughs> because it, it, this, I don't want this, this, this doesn't necessarily have to be done in a really succinct and you know, orderly fashion. Because people are not orderly. People are not clean. People are not whole. We've got to get the message that it's okay not to have it all together. It's okay not to be clean and succinct and orderly. So these guys are going to sing. Come and take communion at your leisure.